using an overpriced trash bag. Pricey, pricey, pricey. A bag that breaks. Whippy, whippy, whippy. Or a smelly bag. Stinky, stinky, stinky. Time to switch to Hefty Ultra Strong Trash Bags, always at an ultra low price. Hefty, hefty, hefty. There are best bags yet, and they cost less than Glad Force Flex were sold head to head. So you'll be happy, happy, happy. Hefty Ultra Strong with Arm and Hammer Odor Control. Available at Sam's Club. Hefty, hefty, hefty. Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Change Agents Deleba for Tuesday, January 20th, 2015. I'm your host, Heather Stagel, coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia, as I do once a month on Blog Talk Radio. This show is one of the many ways I help equip individuals and teams to influence change at Enclaria. Before we start, I'd like to let you know about a five-part webinar series I'm hosting that starts next Wednesday, January 28th, called Design and Influence Irresistible Change. The series comes with a workbook and templates, and it provides tips and tools to help you design change to go as smoothly as possible and to influence change when it doesn't, when it doesn't go well, <laughs> so, um, and so you don't get stuck. So find more information and register at enclaria.com slash events. The Change Agent's Dilemma is how to influence change without authority, and my goal with the show is to share ideas and other resources to help you do just that. Today my guest is Patty Johnson, who is here to share how to make waves at work. Patty Johnson is a career and workplace expert and the CEO of People Results, a change and organizational development consulting firm she founded in 2004. She is the author of Make Waves, Be the One to Start Change at Work and in Life. She and her team advise clients such as PepsiCo, Microsoft, 7-Eleven, Accenture, Frito-Lay, and many others on creating positive change in their leaders and organizations. Previously, Patty was a senior executive at Accenture, where she played an essential role in creating new change service offerings, global talent programs, and providing expertise on complex changes with numerous clients. She has been featured as an expert in media such as the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, Money Magazine, Fast Company, Working Mother, and she's a regular contributor to Success Magazine. She is an instructor on change for Southern Methodist University Executive Education and for the Bush Institute Women's Initiative, as well as a keynote speaker on change and leadership. Patty, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. I appreciate that introduction. Sure. So your book is called Make Waves. And so what does it mean to make waves at work? Well, it's funny that just that word uh, or description, make waves, we've kind of grown up thinking that that might be, is that, are you a troublemaker? Is it bad to make waves? And so the whole book is about this idea that, you know, for there to be real change, you cannot keep doing everything the way it's always been done. It's going to have to be a change in the current. Somebody's going to have to be the one to say, let's try this differently, let's look at this differently, let's experiment. And the book is really around, you know, how do you do that and how do you help other people on your team do that? Because I think that's kind of the main topic you all uh, talk about every month on, on this show. Right. So what are some examples of work waves? Right. Well, on, I would say making waves in general, it's part what you do and it's also kind of a part mindset. So as an example, it's not always – it may be – completely related to your work, but it also may be something that changing the way that you that you look at opportunities in your life. So let's say it's work 
and life in total. And so that's one of the reasons for the title. Now, as far as examples at work, I found so many. And in, when I was doing writing this book, one of the most interesting um, parts of it was I did research and interviewed dozens and dozens of people who had started changes because I was really interested in how did they actually do it? How did it begin? What were those first initial steps? And what I found is that across all walks of life, you know, my my make wave my wave maker list was a very diverse list, and they're they're featured in the back of the book. Everything from a major league baseball manager, a recent college graduate, um, leaders in big organizations, high school students, extremely eclectic mix, which is thrilling actually to kind of sit down and talk and, and look at all of their changes and how they had gotten it started. So. There are many examples in the book, but I'll give you a couple um, that maybe the listeners here can relate to. Um, one of them that, that stood out for me was an example of um, Eric Burfine. He was a leader at Accenture, and he sat through a meeting, a leadership meeting, where they were talking about how to really recruit and retain talent in India in those emerging markets where it was very, very competitive and getting more so. And so the whole conversation was around, you know, how can we really distinguish ourselves? Eric really wasn't responsible for figuring that out, but he was part of the conversation. He cared about it. He knew it was it certainly affected the work he was doing. So he starts thinking it over and decides, you know, really for Accenture, they were known for offering learning, for developing people that was sort of at their core. And he started to think, what do people in India really value? And he looked at, at that time, uh, a lot of the new recruits really valued that opportunity for continued education. That set him in motion toward eventually coming up with a partnership between Accenture and MIT for an advanced certification program that Accenture started to offer. Now, the interesting thing about that was it wasn't really just Eric's responsibility to figure it out. It was him thinking, what could we do? What are the opportunities? What are the ideas? And then the interesting thing was, he decided he wanted to get try to get a little bit of funding to experiment. And, you know, we're all in the world of we don't have budgets for anything. There's no opportunity to really pursue anything different. And he went to his leader and said, I just need a little bit of money to experiment and pursue this just a little bit and see what's there. And his leader said to him, which I think we could all relate to, like, okay, Eric, you're asking for funding when literally no one's asking for this. Our leaders aren't asking for it. Our employees aren't asking for it. Our clients aren't asking for it. Yet you're the one telling me that this is essential. And Eric said, it, it, it is. It is essential. We have to try this. So he got a little bit of seed money, a little bit, just to do a few little focus groups and experiment a little. And that set in motion a really a major change that um, turned out to be very beneficial for the business. And um, it all started with his idea, um, noodling around with other people and then trying to get just a little bit of money to begin. And so that had a really big impact. It started with him and his head, but it certainly you know rippled out to affect the business. So that's one I can give you so many. But I love that example because yeah. it was one of those ways don't, people don't come knocking on your door often saying, we need this, do this. Um, it's usually someone has that idea and sees the connection of what could really happen if we did this. Okay. 
So making waves, it sounds like, you know, when we talk about change management, a lot of times we think of, you know, the leadership team of an organization or a department or something right. has this idea. Right. They're going to try to cascade it down through the rest of the organization. But making waves is more about people who, you know, sort of ordinary people in an organization who have an idea and, you know, how do you get it done from that point of view? And do some, and do, absolutely. And, in fact, I think the whole change methodology that we've all you know, understood and learned over the years of this top-down cascading is um, is being turned on its ear because I do think that the idea, you know, make waves is much more about organic change. Um, it's more about how do you build this in areas of interest and community around your ideas so that you can go take it and do something with it. Um, one of my favorite examples in the book uh, and it was one of those, as somebody who, like, you know, you and, and other people on this call have been involved in countless changes, this was one after I met with, with Lindsay, I sat there for a minute, and it was it was one of those stunned silence. Um, her story, Lindsay Pender, uh, was a recent graduate of nursing school. She worked at a an amazing hospital in Philadelphia, one of the ones more advanced, that than any, and all of the she worked in neonatal ICU, so all of the difficult cases and situations and babies that were going through all kinds of problems, that's where they came. And so she, uh, she said she was in a situation where they were the most advanced. They were educated frequently on the latest trends. They had the latest technology. They were at the top of their game, and consequently, she had exposure to all that. So she relocates with her fiance to a very small hospital in North Carolina. And what she finds is that um, they were not nearly as advanced. In fact, she saw them, that some of their practices and, pro- and policies really were out of date and not, she knew from just being educated on research, not in the best interest of the babies that were bringing in. So she set in motion, uh, it took her about nine months, but to change some of those practices and policies, and she had zero authority, none. And she literally tried everything. You know, she went to um, to join some of the quality improvement committees. She talked to her boss. She talked to her uh, fellow nurses. She um, she brought YouTube videos to her team meetings to share some ideas. And she stuck with it. And one of the things that was really interesting about Lindsay is, you know, again, it took her took her time. But you know, sometimes when you go into a situation like that. You'll see people who will be uh, will look down upon, or will think, "Oh my gosh, what am I doing in this situation? It's so frustrating. There's nothing I can do. They're so behind." There was none of that from her. She was very respectful of people around her, and she said, "You know, I realized that the nurses that I was working with, they had just had a different experience than me, and so I needed to give them time to come along and understand." And so she set in motion all these changes, and had no authority. And like I said, it was one of those that. You know, after I learned a lot about her story, I just, I mean, I sat there for, you know, 30 minutes thinking, that is amazing. And she had no change training. She had no, she just followed instincts. She was respectful of others. And she was really persistent and adaptive, which is one of the features of, of Waymakers. And, and she she got the changes she wanted. So you don't, but to your point, Heather, I mean, it's like you don't always have to be the person in charge cascading it down. In fact, there are many, many examples of, of that that was never really where the change started. Okay. So, and we'll get to we'll get to more characteristics of wave makers in a minute. Sure. But I'd just like to understand, 
you know, how does somebody know, you know, I've got to do something about this? Or, you know, how do people know that they need to start something? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it, it it happens in two different ways. I mean, first off, you have to be willing to ask yourself the question, a couple questions. And that is, the first one is, what can I do? Because often we can fall into the trap, especially in larger, larger organizations, of thinking, ah, oh, that's somebody else. I'll hear about that later. Somebody else will, will take that. And I think if you have that mindset of what can I do, it's a couple of things. One, it keeps you in the mindset of what am I accountable for, what can I influence, as well as the word do, because it means not only do you know it and you ask yourself that question, you take some action on it. If you always take, if you have that mindset, there's always an answer. You ask someone, what can you do about something that you see as another opportunity or a problem? What can I do? There's always some answer. It may not be big and grand, but there's always an answer. And then the second thing is, I think, being willing to ask that question of what if. Um, what if we connected with our customers in a different way? You know, what if we had a new product that would really make life easier for new graduates? You know, keep asking that, that what if. What if my team communicated in a more collaborative way? What would that mean? And so I think asking those questions of yourself, that it starts there. Um, and then also, I think you have to look at some of the, the things that you might see as problems and see them as opportunities. And it's kind of you change your mindset of, well, um, yeah, there's a lot of change coming. Yes, our, our, the competition in, our, in the market is really, really increasing. Uh, yes, we're, we're going to have to change our technology, and it's going to change everything. It's going to change the way we work. It's going to change everybody's job. It's going to change our processes. Okay, well, okay, yes, there's going to be all kinds of angst and anxiety associated with it. We know that, any change. But what's the opportunity? What what is the what could be a whole lot better by you, you know, actually jumping into that? So it's kind of um it's thinking both within yourself and then looking at your environment and you know what those opportunities are and you put those two together and I think that's sort of where um you you allow yourself to, to be a part of the change, whether it's either starting it or being a contributor to it in some way. Yeah. Well, and I've seen people get into the field of organizational change because they were so frustrated by the way that their company was handling change sure. that they decided sure. that they were going to step in and let's see if I can figure out a better way for us to do this. To do so it. We're not creating absolutely. victims of change. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I always tell people, I mean, this is a regular conversation for me either when I speak or talking to um, to, to professionals or leaders is that, you know, if you are starting a change – and you have an idea and you want to do something with it, I mean, don't expect applause and then a parade. It's just not going to happen because we all know as human beings that we we like predictability. Our brain is a giant prediction machine. We like certainty. And so when you start coming in, even if it's for the better, even if it, it's a good change, you're going to get resistance. And so just have your expectations low because – you know, so many people give up or think their idea is bad or whatever because there was no interest. Well, if it was that easy, it would have been done already. So, right. you know, if you're if you're doing something, you've got to be realistic because, you know, and, and one of the, we'll talk about characteristics of wave makers, but, you know, if it's all about you and if it's all about your ego and, you know, be honest with yourself. If you're looking for that acknowledgement and recognition and, oh, if this great happens for me, then I'll get promoted or whatever, if that is your drive, 
then you'll probably you'll probably give up because if you if you focus on that versus what's the impact I want to have, what do I want to be better uh, as a result of being you know of, of my idea actually being carried forward, what's the impact? What's gonna what's gonna be better for all of us? Then you're more likely to stick with it. It's so that personal recognition and ego when when that starts to be you know sitting out there in front of you, um, that's when you will. Uh, you're going to give up too. You're going to give up too soon because it's going to start to to affect your confidence. You know, instead of saying, "Well, sure. okay, I want to get there. I'll try another way." You know. Yeah, and when it's all about you, people will pick up on that. Absolutely. They're not going to want to be Absolutely. involved in that. Whereas if it's all about everybody else, people want to be part of that. Sure. You're exactly well, right. So true. Well, let's get into some of these characteristics of wave makers. You touched on some already. Sure. Sure. Who well, are these people me, that I, are making all this difference? Who, who are these people? Well, it was funny. Like <laughs> I said, I, I did research around people who had started changes. And like I said, remember, a very eclectic mix. Don't picture just the most senior people. And one of the things that surprised me is that I found some very common themes in the way they approach the world, regardless if they were a high school student or they were a senior executive, you know, 30 years into their career. And so I sort of summarized that into what I call wavemaker DNA. And um, there there were four key themes that I found. And one of them is more about we than me. And we spend so much time in the work that we do. Sometimes we talk about this may be a, a, a change term, but kind of with them, what's in it for me? Well, the reality is these are people that are thinking about what's in it for us. And they know the why, and they and they anchor back to the why. This is going to be so much better for us when we when this happens. And you know that they have that we mentality versus me mentality, which I just touched on. Um, the second one is adaptable persistence. Now, on the surface, you might think those two words seem like a contradiction. And what's different is. You know, adaptable persistence means that you're you're not the person that's going blindly charging to the finish line, ignoring everyone around you. I mean, sometimes persistence can bring that to mind. This is the person that is learning, adapting as they get new information. Um, they're planning in short bursts. They're uh, they know that they know where they're directionally where they're going to go, but they might also see a new opportunity along the way. I've mean, I talked to so many wave makers who said, you know, I ended up in a such better and with such better impact than I ever even imagined. And it's because they stayed with it, but they learned and adapted as they went as they went through. It's like I always give the mental example of the child in the maze of the playground. You know, you hit that wall, you try another, you keep going, you keep going, you keep going, and then you come out the other side. So that that's the second one. Um, the third one is voracious learner. This was really, really important, and it kind of gets back a little bit to that ego point. And that is instead of looking at a new situation or a situation that they didn't understand, instead of being fearful, they were intrigued and interested, and they actually moved toward new information. Um, They weren't afraid. I talked to so many entrepreneurs and, and people who took on something new who they had confidence, I can get in and understand this. I will figure this out, or I will work with somebody who helps me figure this out, and we'll figure it out together. It was not, they didn't turn away from the new or information that they, you know, hadn't had exposure to. And that is so, so important because one of the things I found is the more successful we become, the more afraid we are of showing that we don't understand something. I mean, think about how many people 
will disguise their lack of understanding or turn away from it. I don't want to think, no, we don't need to do that. We don't need to try social media. We don't need to do this because the real reason is because I don't understand it and I won't, I won't be in my comfort. So voracious learner was the third. And then the last one uh, you know, was positive collaborators. These are the people that recognize, I mean, you can't do change alone. I always say change is not a solo sport. If it's, if it's, some, it's not you staying up for three days straight and cranking out a proposal or, you know, doing the analysis, change moves through people. So you can't do it alone. And so these were the people who were, like Lindsay Pender, respectful of the people around her. Um, or uh, in my example of Eric Burfind uh, that, that did the Accenture and MIT thing, he said, I talked to so many people. He said, I bet it was in the hundreds with, about my idea. Um, one of the examples of the my WaveMaker um, examples was um, the individual who started the big event at Texas A&M. And he said, I talked to so many people about it, my idea became legitimate in a very short amount of time. And I love that because hmm. that meant, you're right, he knew he couldn't do it alone. And so he was he had shared his idea so extensively that it just it took hold. So they were the, the positive collaborators and creating idea partners, which is my term, for those handful of people around you that help you noodle your idea, that help you take it a little bit further, to bring something new to it, or maybe also play devil's advocate with you on uh, that. I don't know that it's going to work in that way. So it's like you can't do it alone. Well, those are the four. I can talk on and on about them. But those are the four key themes in terms of WaveMaker DNA that I found just in the way that you know these people kind of approach the approach their world and their work. So important. Oh, absolutely. So those are absolutely. those are who WaveMakers are. So let's talk about also what they do. What are the elements of a successful wave? Right. Well, I think the one of the first things back to you can't do it alone. What I found is some of those first steps were um, that they found, like I said, they found idea partners. So they were willing to listen and explore uh, with others. Um, most of us, we think about, oh, let's have a brainstorming session. Well, in all my interviews of how things really got started, it got started often with two or three people over a glass of wine, scribbling. It was in the back of a cab. It was on a long flight home. It was, but it was kind of being willing to, to start let your idea you know, help with other people. Also, you have to know your why. Uh, nobody's going to get really interested if you can't really articulate and share why this matters. If this is not just something new I want to talk about at the team meeting, it's like, let me tell you, and keep going back to that again and again and again. Um, finding simple step for, steps forward. And one of the trends that I talk about in the book is that you know, our attention spans have decreased by about seven seconds in the last you know, 10 to 12 years, depending upon the research, but a lot. Because we are hyper, hyper-connected, we are multitasking, we want to do everything quick on our phone, and we have to recognize that simplicity for us is, is very important. Simplicity and also quick and easy to understand. Because if you miss that, you're, you know, you'll never get traction with other people. And you're, you know, it's like it's from the beginning, as you're starting a change, you're pulling other people in. Um, one of the examples that I had, Kate Rogers, who she was responsible for HEB is a, a large grocery uh, chain out of San Antonio, Texas. And 
she was given, they wanted to be the health destination. They wanted to make sure that the products on their shelves had, um, you know, all kinds of information about nutrition, that that was considered in advance. They wanted the people in the in each of the, their stores to really understand and be a contributor to health, not only for themselves, but think about that was part of their of their responsibility for the business. And one of the things she said that really stuck with me is she said one of the very first things I did when she, she was given this responsibility by her leadership, and she said one of the very first things I did is I, I sat down and thought about who is passionate about this cause. And she said I came up with about 12 people, and it wasn't anything to do with her title or level. It was just people that I knew cared about this cause. And the first thing I did is I started getting that group together. And we started talking about what can we do here? How can we gain traction? And it wasn't, okay, I've got to get all the VPs in the room or I've got to get, you know, all my peers who are managers, whatever it is. It was who cares about this issue? And I think I found that to be very, very common because you've got to, that, that becomes your core nucleus of your community around your idea. So those are a few I could go on and on. But, um, it, you know, like I said, back to taking action, it's that willingness to say, I'm going to do something. What can I do? How can I get started on this idea? Well, there's something interesting about that HEB example, which is that Mm -hmm. you said leadership gave her that responsibility. They gave her the task to go out and do that. So it wasn't necessarily something that started with her, but she took that, Mm -hmm. she still took that and ran with it and said, what can I do to make sure this happens? She did, and and one of the chapters in my book is about, you know, when when change comes to you, and, and that's one of them. I mean, there were plenty of examples of where, um, especially people in the larger organizations where they were sort of given something. And with her, it was like, we want to do this, but we don't really know how or what it might look like. And luckily, it was something she cared a great deal about. So she was she had to try to figure that out. You know, I also had another example of um, someone in the book who was her her uh, son was in a school where for for special needs, and the leaders of the school were saying they weren't going to be able to carry forward with it anymore. And Lori was the one sitting there going, okay, I am a stay-at-home mom. I have a really strong business background. I know nothing about schools, but the school cannot close. So she figured out how are we going to keep this school alive and thrive, and she did it. And uh, that was another example where sometimes it, it, it starts with our own ideas. Sometimes we're, we're faced with a situation where – Okay, I have to come up with the idea because I care about this cause. I care. I, I need to do something. So it, it can appear in different ways. Great. Okay, so what do you do when your wave hits a wall? And it will, by the way. Right. Uh, most of, most <laughs> of them, most of them do. I think the the trick when your wave hits a wall, it's so hard for all of us to do, but to to really objectively look at the facts. I mean, I sort of, in the book, I sort of take everybody through, um, you know, kind of like be a reporter on yourself, be the researcher. Because when somebody says to you, you know what, it just didn't work, well, why didn't it work? Because as an example, one of the things, especially people in larger organizations, if you start asking for funding around your new idea and you're three months into the, 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 um, the year and budgets have already been set, and it's a pretty significant um, commitment, pretty good chance you're you're uh, already on your back foot. You know, it's going to be very, very difficult. Um, so sometimes it's environmental. Sometimes, you know, it's like, did you, how well did you actually share the idea? 
Um, did you have were other people involved with you? Was it just just all about you? Um, do you, are you lacking support? Why are you lacking support? So I think the main thing is is number one, all all changes of of any sort of magnitude, you will hit a wall at some point. The question is, can you work around it? What can you do? And you've got to really stay objective. Don't let your ego, your emotions take hold of you or your frustrations. What happened here? And sometimes it's good to talk to somebody objectively who's not in your world and try to figure out, okay, let, help me figure out objectively what happened. And you have to know that before you know, okay, was it sponsorship? Was it budget? What was it? What was it that caused you? And then talk about you know, the adaptive persistence. You take that information and say, okay, now what? What do I do differently? Um, maybe I need to adjust my goal a little bit. Maybe I need just the timing. Maybe I need different kind of sponsorship, that kind of thing. So it's like you have to really be objective and fact-based. What did you learn? What do you know? Not how do I feel? Yeah. Well, and not take it personally. Not take it personally. Exactly. Like I said, if you're starting to change, you are, you're, you're going to have this. This is going to happen to you at some point, whether it's starting a new business or – you know, you're trying to, to change the way your team works. Somebody's not going to like it. Somebody's going to try to shut you down. Um, and so that's just just don't 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 think that it will be otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, the, the you know what just popped into my head was Dory from yeah. Lil, from Finding Nemo. Like just keep uh, swimming, yeah. <laughs> just keep swimming. <laughs> that's a bad idea. Just keep, keep going. going. You know, there's a way. Exactly. You just gotta keep going. <laughs> you gotta keep going. That's hilarious. That's true. Maybe we need to. Yeah, maybe Dory's our role model on all this stuff. So uh, yeah, I get it. Makes perfect sense. Sure. Well, Patty, thank you so much for being here again. Everyone, it's been the great. book is called Make Waves, and it, I've read it. It's great, and she's got so many more examples that she included in the, in the book that you definitely. Thank need to you. Be, you're trying to make a difference. Thank you. Work. Yes, and it's on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble, and um, so uh, thank you very much for mentioning that. Great. Thank you. Thanks, Heather. And coming up, you're welcome. Uh, coming up next month on Tuesday, February 17th, Dr. Jane Goldner visits the show to tell us to forget work-life balance, its role integration. We'll talk about what that means for us as individuals, as well as how to build role integration into organizations. Thank you so much for listening to The Change Agent's Dilemma. If you'd like to find more resources to help you influence change in your organization, including individual coaching, team workshops, and upcoming training events, such as the Irresistible, the Design and Influence Irresistible Change webinar series, please visit enclaria.com. While you're there, sign up for my monthly newsletter and receive 12 free templates from my change management toolkit, The Irresistible Change Guide. Until next time, take care and best wishes for your change initiative. Using an overpriced trash bag. Pricey, pricey, pricey. A bag that breaks. Whippy, whippy, whippy. Or a smelly bag. Stinky, stinky, stinky. Time to switch to hefty, ultra-strong trash bags. Always at an ultra-low price. Hefty, hefty, hefty. There are best bags yet, and they cost less than Glad Force Flex were sold head-to-head. So you'll be... Happy, happy, happy. Hefty, ultra-strong with Arm & Hammer Odor Control. Available at Sam's Club. Hefty, hefty, hefty. 
using an overpriced trash bag. Pricey, pricey, pricey. A bag that breaks. Whippy, whippy, whippy. Or a smelly bag. Stinky, stinky, stinky. Time to switch to hefty, ultra strong trash bags, always at an ultra low price. Hefty, hefty, hefty. There are best bags yet, and they cost less than Glad Force Flex were sold head to head. So you'll be happy, happy, happy. Hefty, ultra strong with Arm & Hammer Odor Control. Available at Sam's Club. Hefty, hefty, hefty. 